Hey, this is Minta, and you're listening to Mint, the podcast equipping you to run the race of faith well. I like to say that we meet at the intersection of real life and the Word of God. Together, let's find practical ways we can grow stronger in our faith, live according to truth, and love those around us. I love hearing from you. So if you've been impacted by the show or have a question or just need prayer, please drop me an email at the address listed in the show notes. Mint is listener supported, and we would be so honored if you would consider making a donation to help keep us on the airwaves. All donations are tax deductible. Simply head to our website for more details, www.amintageisler.com. Let's do this faith journey together. Welcome to the show. I am so glad you are here as we continue in our series, Walk With Me, which is Jesus's invitation to us, and it's my invitation to you to dive deep into the Sermon on the Mount and walk out our faith like Jesus did, to live out godly righteousness in a world that is dark and just full of deception. Now, this is not easy, but it is worth the fight. This is the good fight of faith. So let's dive in together and move on to the next section of the sermon which is going to be so good and so eye-opening and also so challenging. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for who you are. God, you alone are worthy of all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. So Lord, we give you the authority in our lives and we ask that you would give us eyes to see you and ears to hear you and hearts that are open to hearing and growing and learning and loving you more. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, just to recap a little bit before we get rolling, we started this series, Walk With Me, by learning about the eight Beatitudes, and then we moved on to Salt and Light, and we spent some time on the power of testimony. So if you missed any of that material, feel free to push pause and go back and start there, because some of the ideas we're talking about today do build on the concepts that we did first with the eight Beatitudes. And today, we're going to start with actually the mission statement of this sermon, kind of the purpose statement, and then we'll explain what happened, and, and Jesus is going to move into showing us what living true righteousness is looks like. So let's go. If you are reading your Bible with me, you can turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to start at verse 17. And if you are driving or doing something uh, else, please do not pull out your Bible. I will read it for you. But we are going to start there, Matthew 5, verse 17. And again, this is uh, the purpose statement of Jesus's Sermon on the Mount. So we get to hear the why, uh, why he is addressing these issues. Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. And I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and you teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, and here is the heart of the message, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and of the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Let me read that again. Unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So that is his whole goal with this sermon is to teach us what true righteousness looks like, a godliness that gets us into the kingdom of heaven. 
And if you remember, he defined earlier in the sermon for us what righteousness was, and he defined it as mercy and purity and peacemaking. And you're going to hear those themes today as we dive into his six examples. But it's also important to realize this sermon is in direct contradiction to the teachings of the religious leaders of that day. He is correcting and redefining what it looks like to be righteous. See, the leaders and the Pharisees of the day, they had gotten so corrupt and they only cared about what what it looked like on the outside. They were hypocrites. Their hearts were not pure. And Jesus, later on in the book of Matthew, actually Matthew 23, I'm going to turn there really quick. He says this to the Pharisees. Matthew 23, verse 25. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites. For you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy. You're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee. First wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will become clean too. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites. For you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. So this is Jesus's warning. Like, make sure that your faith, that your righteousness is not just something that looks good on the outside, but inside, not so great. He's saying, make sure you start with your heart. Make sure you look at what is on the inside Don't just look real good. Don't look like a great church person on the outside. Jesus says, man, I can see into your heart. We're going to get to the heart of the issue. We're going to get to the root of the issue. We're going to look at the inside. Isn't this a powerful statement? And then he goes into six different corrections. And each one of them begins with, you have heard it said. And that is referring to the commands and the teachings of the leaders of the day. And then he'll go on to say, but I tell you. And that is going to be the pattern. This is how it is. This is how it should be. This is what you've been taught, but I'm telling you differently. So he dives into this in Matthew 5, starting in verse 21. And that is where we are going to start. So if you want to turn with me, you can. Matthew 5, verse 21. You have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. So if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember somebody has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. When you are on your way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge and you'll hand you over to an officer and you'll be thrown into prison. And if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you have paid the last penny. Wow. Jesus starts with saying, you've heard it said, do not murder. But he brings us to a new standard. I tell you, don't even be angry or you're subject to judgment. This is so difficult. But the reason that Jesus says this is because he's trying to get at the root cause of murder, which is anger. He's getting to the heart of the matter. And why? Why is it a problem if we are angry? Well, James chapter 1 verses 19 to 20 gives us an answer. So I'm turning there right now. You can probably hear the pages of my Bible. I love that sound so much. But James chapter 1 
Verse 19 and 20, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Here we go. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. We cannot have true godly righteousness if we have anger in our heart. It blocks the righteousness of God from filling our heart. Verse 21 says, so get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives. Humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. Human anger can't produce the righteousness God desires. It's not of him. And we learned that earlier in the Beatitudes. We have to empty ourselves and fill ourselves up with God's righteousness. And in him, that means no anger. And in the second part of this, he talks about how the responsibility is on us that if there is conflict with somebody, if we do have anger or somebody has anger at us, it's our responsibility to take the first step and go deal with that. So I am going to turn quick to Romans chapter 12, and that has some words for us about just how we are supposed to deal with that kind of situation. Romans 12, and I'm going to start in verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. That's getting angry, right? When those curse words fly out of our mouth, that would be the anger. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. And don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. And do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. And the anger, our human anger, blocks us from being able to do things like that, from being able to humble ourselves and accept this word from God and to go to our neighbor and to make it right and to just pour out those feelings that we have. Now, this is not the standard that they were used to, right? Murder was the standard. Do not murder. That was in the Old Testament. That was part of the commands. Do not murder. But Jesus is saying, no, I have a higher calling for you. And friends, this is a high calling. This no anger thing kind of overwhelms me a little bit because, you know, I have moments where I get angry. It's only possible with God's righteousness in us. This is not something we can achieve on our own. So it's necessary that we go to him first. Right? And I think practically speaking, one of the best things we can do here is when we get into a situation where we can feel that anger rising up inside of us is that we go before God and we pour it out before him. You can dump your anger before God and say, just tell him, Lord, oh, this is so hard. Oh, I have feelings of anger. Oh, God, help me get rid of this anger in my heart. Give me wisdom for how to deal with this situation. God, give me your peace so I can get over this and I can make peace with somebody else. Just dump it at his feet. And just to even get even more practical, sometimes what's helpful for me is I will get out a piece of paper and I will actually write a letter uh, to the person I'm mad at and I get everything out and then I throw away that letter. I do not give it to that person. I repeat, do not give that emotional outburst to the person who has hurt you. But sometimes when you get it out and you get those emotions out of the way, then you are free to just think calmly and rationally about the situation without the anger. And then you can do what you need to do to go be the peacemaker. So, but the key here, and we heard it in in the other verses that we looked at, is to have a humble posture, which is one of the Beatitudes, 
and then to let God's peace flow out of you. Be a peacemaker. That is one of the Beatitudes. So see all six of these situations that Jesus is going to address. You will see the Beatitudes show up in here. And he's saying, now I've told you what it looks like to be righteous. Now I'm going to show you just how deep and how far that righteousness goes and what it's going to look like lived out. So let's jump back to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. We are going to go to the next session, verses 27 through 30. You have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who even looks at lust, at a woman with lust, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even the stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. These are very strong words. And you know, the reason Jesus is addressing this, you have heard it said, is that the command was no adultery. But Jesus takes it further to address the root of the issue in the heart, and that is lust. And he says that it is better to get rid of the body parts than to go to hell. Now, Jesus is not literally asking us here to cut off your body parts. Please do not listen to this episode. Say, oh my word, I struggle with lust and go gouge out your eyes. Please do not do that. That is not what Jesus is saying here. But what he's saying is, literally do not let any part of this lust continue in your life. Take whatever drastic necessary measures that you need to take in order to not let this be an issue in your life anymore. Do it. Avoid it. At all costs. If you need to move, move. If you need to block emails from a certain source, block those emails. If you need to block people off your phone, block it. If you need to quit going to a certain establishment or restaurant or whatever, you need to do that. You need to put up some strong boundaries. You need to get accountability, but you need to do whatever you need to do to stop that sin of lust. Dramatic measures. This is what he's getting at, and here's why. I'm going to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verses 12 through 20. This is why Jesus is saying it is so important we take drastic measures. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I'm allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. Well, you say food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food. This is true, though someday God will do away with both. But you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord, and the Lord cares about our bodies. And God will raise us from the dead by his power, just as he raised the Lord from the dead. Don't you realize your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he's become one body with her? For the scriptures say the two are united into one. But the person who's joined with the Lord is one spirit with him. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. No other sin so clearly affects us than the sin of lust. It pollutes your heart So I'm going to get real here for a second, and we're going to talk about the huge elephant in the room, and that is the modern-day problem of porn. 
And with the invention of the internet and phones in our hands, access to porn has become so easy that this used to just be a men problem. And now the statistics show it is becoming a woman's problem too. And for men, I think for them, lust is more of a physical issue, right? It's a physical draw. Now for women, I think lust is a little more relational. We long to be connected. We love to be appreciated. So we are enticed into lust when somebody notices us or compliments us or sees us or values us. Then we're drawn in. And then we can just, you know, excuse it away and say, it's not bad. What's the harm with just flirting or daydreaming or or fantasizing about perfect guy or looking forward to seeing somebody at church or somebody that we work with or just pining away for a character on a TV show? I mean, what's the big deal? I'm not actually hurting anything. And we justify it because in our mind, it doesn't seem as harmful as porn. But what Jesus is saying here is like the root of lust in your heart is damaging no matter what it looks like. You got to get rid of that. It is a foothold for sin in your heart. Run, make strict boundaries and people will think you're crazy and that's okay. When Ben and I first got married, I was really Uh, a warrior for this cause because I have fallen. And if you don't know my story, man, I have had Jesus pour so much grace over my life. And um, when I was younger, my marriage was hard and I got noticed by somebody and I fell headlong and I committed adultery and it train wrecked my entire life. And I did not have the guardrails up. I allowed myself to just walk a little too close to it and tell myself it wasn't an issue. And so I am the hugest advocate advocate for like, no, you will put up a boundary and we will hold it. We will protect our marriage. And so when we got married, Ben and I made a rule. We would never be alone with somebody of the opposite sex. Well, that got hard fast because at school, he was supposed to team teach with another lady. And so after school, they were supposed to have meetings, just him and her. And she was a young, you know, attractive lady. And so That went right against our boundaries. Well, he went and tried to tell the principal, like, hey, this, you know, my wife and I have a rule. We don't, we're not alone with people of the opposite sex. And the principal, like, thought he was crazy and got mad at him and threatened to fire him. And so we made an adjustment to the rule and we just said, well, they could meet, but the door had to be open. And he would text me before so that I would know that he was meeting with somebody. So nothing would be done in secret. And you might be listening to this thinking that is so extreme. That is so dumb. But if you have lost a relationship to adultery, you will know that you have to guard your heart so carefully. So not that you have to make the same rules I made, but just to get you thinking about what can I do? What boundaries do I need to put up? Where do I see weaknesses in my armor so that I can protect myself from this one? And this one really goes back to the pure of heart in the Beatitudes. It's addressing, do we allow sin a foothold in our heart or do we try to live purely? Well, we are just about out of time and so we are going to push pause for this week's episode right here after the second scenario that Jesus gives us and we are going to pick up next time in the next episode with number three and um, just keep diving deep into what Jesus has for us. And so I just want to leave you with this encouragement. Friends, it is not easy to do the hard work that God asks us to do sometimes. And it it involves uncomfortable self-reflection and taking time to just think about and ask God and pray that Psalm 139, Lord, 
point out anything in me that offends you. You know, and as we go through this material, it's so easy to think about, well, how does this apply to other people? And how does this apply um, to somebody else? You know, you get a different scenario coming to your mind. But I encourage you to just take that stance of humility and say, God, point out in me anything that offends you. Do I need to do anything different so that my heart is in the right place before you? God, fill me up with your righteousness. Make me more like you. And I just think God will see that and he will honor that. And that's where the heart work begins so that we can become more like the Father. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for who you are and how you love us. God, I thank you for your grace that covers us. And now, Lord, I just ask that you would be with us as we go about our week that you would empower us with your spirit, that you would help us to pursue godly righteousness, and that you would fill us up to overflowing. Thank you for loving us and being patient with us and giving us strength in your name. Amen. You've been listening to Mint, the podcast dedicated to making spiritual things practical. If you want more information about Mint or Reckless Abandoned Ministries, you can just head to our website at www.amintageisler.com for more information.